Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, we're going to read these verses together. Again, this is a summary, not only of the gospel, but today's message as well. I believe that he descended to the dead the third day he arose from the dead. Listen to the word of God. Let it sink into your heart. Paul says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which was received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now drop down to verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Then verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And then lastly in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now with that, I would like you to look on the screen and together we are going to say the Apostles' Creed. I hope that you can say this as a follower of Christ from your heart. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we thank you that today we can study your word. Thank you that already we've been able to sing your word. We've been able to hear your word as it's been spoken to us. Now, God, I need your help always to communicate that which is still to a large degree a mystery. So I pray not only for the, the wisdom and insight to move through th this important concept in Scripture, but also, God, I cry out to you that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you make these words, the words of your Scripture, real to us. And if someone does not know you today, I pray that today would be the day when he or her 
when she believes in Jesus Christ, when she understands or he understands the gospel message. God help us now as we study. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our coming Savior. Amen. How many of you believe in your heart and you confess Jesus arose from the dead? Let's try to get back to that blank slide. There we go. How many of you with equal belief would say that you confess that he descended to the dead? I didn't hear quite as many amens to that. Do you know why? Because for ages, and I will share a little bit more about this in, in a little bit, that has been a confusing statement. But let me just say these words. And the reason why I changed from a few weeks ago how we recite the Apostles' Creed, anyone who believes that Jesus arose from the dead must believe that he was in the place of the dead. In other words, Jesus had to arise from somewhere. So the question for us today is, where is that somewhere? We know that Jesus died on the cross. We hear that all of the time in our church and in a lot of churches across the land. But we don't hear too much what happened to him between his death at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon and between that time his resurrection sometime early Sunday morning. So again, the question is this. After his body was buried in the tomb, where did he go and what was he doing? As I said a minute ago, Christians have wrestled with this and various scriptures surrounding this for 2,000 years. And so what, what my goal is today, what I'm going to try my best to do, is to try to correct some errors and see as best we can what the Bible has to say. And so we're going to look at various scriptures. I, I always run that razor's edge. I don't want to do what, what sometimes I have done, I know in the past, and that's uh, give you something that you leave with, a little bit of Bible fatigue, because I've given you so many scriptures. But we have to necessarily look up the Bible and what it says so that we're not left with just speculation about what Jesus was doing during his time between 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday and Resurrection Sunday morning. I do not want you to have speculation. I want us to see as far as we can what the scriptures say. So let me give you first of all a chronology of events, okay? Here we are. And this is not an exact 
chronology of the entire life of Jesus any more than the Apostles' Creed gives us that. But, but I think we need this perspective of what happened to him right before he was to die. Now, there are basically four things here. The promise of Jesus. And I'm going to give you enough time if you want to jot these down so you can see the flow. I think even if you don't, you will understand this. But he made a promise in Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. He made a promise to the repentant thief. And that's why I put that in there in parentheses. And I'm going to be using this. I'm going to be toggling back and forth between the repentant and the unrepentant thief. And in another story in Luke 16, between Lazarus and the rich man. Because I want you to notice this now, and particularly if you are not a believer yet in Jesus Christ. I say yet. Because I've been praying for you. You're going to receive the truth of the gospel today, as hopefully you do every Sunday. And I pray that before the day is out, that you will trust in Christ. You will not be like the unrepentant faith. We're going to see what, where he went. But here's the promise that Jesus made to the repentant, faith, uh, the repentant thief. He said, well, in, in answer, in response to the thief who had repented, and he cried out to Jesus, and he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, remember, written above Jesus was the fact that he was the king. The Jews didn't like that very much. And so the thief, I don't know how much he knew of the Bible, but he, he picked up on that and he said, Jesus, there was a repentance in him before he had been mocking and he quit mocking. Because he saw Jesus, he saw how he was suffering. There, there was something. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was working in him. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're a king. I believe that today. And you're coming into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? We pass over these words, but they are chock full of meaning. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you. Parenthetically, there are other people, there are people who have translated this in other ways. They put the punctuation in other places. This is accurate. Truly, I say to you, repentant person, today you're going to be with me someplace. And that someplace is paradise. In other words, what Jesus was saying, now listen to this, I'm going somewhere today. While my body is still hanging on the cross and the life has gone out of it, the spirit, the, the, my soul is going to go someplace and you are going to be in that place with me today. That gives us a hint. At that in just a second. Then there's a second thing in the chronology, Jesus' departure. And again, this is very important. Once he had given the promise, then he departed. And here's something very, very important. We're going to correct a misconception, and, and it's out there, maybe not in our church or other things that you've heard, but it is out there. We need to know that when Jesus departed, departed, Everything that needed to be done for our redemption had been completed. And we know it not from speculation, 
Young people, don't speculate. Know the word. Older adults, don't speculate. Know the word. We know it. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Oh, the book of Hebrews tells. That's another sermon. Good gracious. Entrance into the holy of holies was made because Jesus, and I've kind of mushed all this together so we could get these scriptures, and they have a lot more in them, but I wanted you to see this, that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. It wasn't a meek whimper. He said, it, what? Redemption. It's finished. It's done. There's no more that can be done. And then he said, Father, into, now watch this. He's already told the thief something very important today. I'm going to be somewhere. And here we get another hint. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit very much alive. There is consciousness after death. Jesus' body was lifeless on the cross. The moment that he died physically but his spirit was committed into the hands of his father in a place called paradise. Very, very important. Let's look at the third thing in the chronology of all that's happened. Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and he was buried in a tomb. Okay? In the Bible, the different words are used for that picture. The body is asleep. The body has no life. Sometimes the body is buried in a grave. Sometimes the body is buried in a tomb. Sometimes the, the, the body is, is, is cremated. Sometimes the body is lost at sea. You, know, you can just go on and on with that. And we're not ready yet, even though we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ very briefly today. There, there are things coming up in the creed that point us to what happens when we are resurrected. We're not going to get there quite yet, but it is super neat what happens to us in the resurrection. Can you wait a couple of weeks? Okay. All right. So look at this. Joseph of Arimathea says he was a secret disciple, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate took, gave permission, and they come with all of this incredible, I mean, it was a, it was a lot of spices and stuff, and so they took the body, and in the place where they crucified him right there at Golgotha there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid oh all of this is in fulfillment of scripture how could all of this just happen did somebody write the old testament after the new testament was written when people say the bible is full of contradictions I, I just i just don't get it folks i know there are things difficult to understand but all of the prophecies that Jesus had to fulfill. And he did. Because he was the son of God. And so they laid Jesus there in that tomb. And then the last part of the chronology that I want you to see, this broad sweep of, of when he died on the cross for our sins and then he was buried. And then on the first day of the week, when was that? What's the first day of the week? That's on Sunday. At early dawn, they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. Oh, we know it was just an earthquake. Well, there was an earthquake. 
when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. All kinds of theories blossomed up even right then, immediately. The swoon theory, he just, you know, he just passed out and the coolness of the tomb and the some 80 pounds of spices wrapped up and he just kind of got himself up and walked out of the tomb. They never, you know, that, that's just absurd. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I think those two men in dazzling apparel were probably angels. And the men said to them, he is not here. He is risen. He got his glorified body then. We don't get our glorified body until Jesus returns. He got his glorified body right then, put together with his spirit, and then he was on the earth for a long time. A lot of people saw him. But here's the question for today's sermon. In the scriptures, is there total silence as to where his soul went. We know his body went into the grave, but where did his soul go for that three-day period of time? And this has been so confusing to so many people that in, even in churches that say the Apostles' Creed, we, we really haven't until we started doing this study saying the Apostles' Creed. But in churches that have said the Apostles' Creed for years, that this is so mysterious and so upsetting, he descended into hell, is the way most people say that, that they've just left it all together out of their statement of the creed because it's so controversial. So let's define some terms. Now, folks, I've got to tell you, I had tons of notes on this, and I had to really compact this, and I hope this, is, this will make sense as we walk through this and I've thrown out some of the technical stuff and even some of the verses that maybe you would want me to get at. We can talk about that personally. But you need to know that there are several terms that are used in the Bible and that the translators of the Apostles' Creed have used through the years. So let's look at, let's define some terms, okay? The first one is this. In the Old Testament, when someone died, they went to a place called Sheol. Okay? Sheol. You know what Sheol means? Place of the dead. They had a consciousness. Their bodies were in the grave. Their bodies had no consciousness. They were just bodies, and they were going to deteriorate and go back to dust eventually. But their souls went to a place they called Sheol, place of the dead, the grave. There are lots of, just almost all of the times when you see this used in the Old Testament, here's what you'll see. Sheol, the psalmist in Psalm 1610, this is a messianic psalm. You know how I know that? Because of the next verse that we will see. David, David speaking as a prophet, a messianic psalm, he said this, For you, God, will not abandon my, I capitalize that because it's referring to Jesus, my soul to Sheol. I'm going I'm to go there, but you're not going to abandon me there. And he wasn't going to abandon the other Old Testament saints. That's coming up in a minute. Or let your Holy One see corruption. That's talking about the body. Someday it's going to be glorified. 
That's an incredible messianic song. But let's move again. Let's define another term. Sheol, have you got that down? What does it mean? Place of the dead. How many, oh, I don't know how to say this. How many compartments were there? Is that the right word? How many divisions, how many compartments were there in Sheol? Two. Okay. Now let's define another term. The term Hades. Ah. Some of you are into Greek mythology and all the rest of that. Hades is, you know, a demi-urge, demigod, whatever. Hades is also defined as, same as Sheol. What's the definition of Hades? Place of the dead. You can just put dittos under that if you wrote it. Hades is the place of the dead. It's just the Greek word for the Hebrew word Sheol. Oh, doesn't that look like I just lifted from Psalm 16.10 and put it as Acts 2.27? That's because Peter did. In the very first sermon after the day of Pentecost, the founding of the new church, guess what he preached? He preached the gospel, and he preached the, the fact of, of the resurrection, and you will not abandon my soul, but he changed the word to the Greek word, Hades. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your Holy One see corruption. And when we go to the Apostles' Creed, and it was translated from Greek and then other languages and Latin, and in fact there's a variation even in the Latin, and unfortunately this has, this has been lost to us, the meaning he descended to the dead. He descended to Sheol. He descended to Hades. And we, and this is the reason why Christians have so much problem with this phrase in the Apostles' Creed, because to them, descending into hell is going to an entirely other place. Now, I, I said a minute ago, we'll get to the third definition, but I wanted just to, for you to see the two compartments in this place called Sheol or Hades, and particularly we pick it up with Hades. The story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. We're not going to go through all of this. The poor man died. Lazarus was his name. Carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And that's the, you consistently see this. This is Old Testament. This is before Christ died and went to Hades. Okay? And what was he do, doing at Abraham's side? He was being comforted. He was at peace because he was a guy who died in faith. Okay? The rich man also died. He was unrepentant. Kind of like that thief that I mentioned a minute ago. And in Hades, he's there, but he's in a particular compartment. He's not at Abraham's side. He's in another compartment. Being in torment and anguish, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off in that place that's a part of Hades, but it's afar off. In fact, later on, he says a great chasm is fixed and you can't go between those two. And he saw Lazarus was at the side of Abraham. Let's go to a third definition now, the word Gehenna. The word Gehenna is our word hell. That, that's the bad place. Now, when the Apostles' Creed, even in the old version of it, he descended into hell, we're going to correct some errors. This is what most people think. 
This is a New Testament word. It's a Greek word. Uh, we see that Jesus talked about it. Mark chapter 9, verses 43, 48. Uh, it, it's better for you to lose limbs than to not believe. Because if you don't believe, you'll go to hell. Unquenchable fire. The worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. This is an awful place, folks. This is a word for the Valley of Hinnom. You know what was in the Valley of Hinnom, what they used to do in the Old Testament? The Old Testament kings would sacrifice children there. And in the New Testament times, it was a garbage heap, and it continually burned. They'd throw garbage, bodies, all the rest of that kind of thing. That was, that was the picture for them of hell. Now, there is a place where there is torment like that in Hades. But we know someday death and Hades were not to that part of the creed yet, parenthetically. I just want to put this in. Someday this is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So the torment, the anguish that is going on right now for unrepentant people like the unrepentant thief, an unrepentant rich man in the story I told you just a minute ago, and your unrepentant uncle or cousin or friend, this is the place where they are right now that's in torment. And all they're going to do someday is just shift into the eternal lake of fire. Let that soak in. Now, the phrase, he descended into hell, here's what it doesn't mean. Real, thing, real quick, three things. And, and these are important, okay? Are, are you tracking with me? Is this, it's not too technical, is it? Tried to just walk through these things to show you a picture, and we're, we're going to get even more personal. I got a little bit personal with that last one about an uncle or a cousin or a friend. But you, you need to bring it up close and personal. You really do. And some of you in this room today really do need to do that for yourselves. Okay, he descended into hell or Hades. Here are three things that that phrase they, they do, it does not mean these three things. First thing, he didn't suffer torment in hell. Jesus didn't go to that part of Hades. How do we know that? Is that speculation? No, that's scripture. Because he told the thief, I'm going somewhere when I die. My soul is, my spirit's going somewhere. And it's a place that I'm, I'm going to change the name of it. From Abraham's side, I'm going to call it paradise. So today you're going to be with me in that place called paradise. Of course he didn't suffer torment in Hades, in that place of torment. Second thing it doesn't mean, and this was related to it, that his going to the dead added nothing. He didn't suffer torment. Some people believe and teach that Jesus had to go into the afterlife and suffer torment to continue to pay for our sins. And that's where our friends, the Roman Catholics, started the process and the believing in purgatory. 
Jesus did not suffer torment in hell. There was nothing he did in Hades that added anything to the redemption that he paid for on the cross. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished, because it was. And the it referred to our redemption. We need to know that. A third thing that it could not mean, boy, here's a little bit more of the purgatory coming in. It does not mean, like some verses people say, and they're confusing, I left one of those, I left them out, like 1 Peter chapter 3, because, un, listen, unclear scripture always gives way to clear scripture. Some of you would say it's clear. I think that that passage of scripture is incredibly unclear as to exactly what, what it means. But what is clear is this. Please hear this. Shake out the cobwebs. It does not mean that Jesus was giving a second chance for salvation. Because that's one of the common teachings is those people who died in the Old Testament didn't have the chance to hear the gospel. And so Jesus went and preached the gospel and some of those people in hell got saved. No, they died unrepentant. They died by rejecting the promise of the Messiah to come. The Bible says very clearly that it is appointed for a man to die once and then after that comes judgment. And the creed talks about that judgment that we'll come to. Behold, he says, in the writer to the, excuse me, not Hebrews, yeah, Hebrews 3, 7, and then on in, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, now is the favorable time. Behold, today, if you hear his voice, now is the day of salvation. And I'm not through with the teaching yet, but could I stop here and give an invitation? I apologize for sometimes uh, how Baptists have said you got to preach through your sermon, then you shift gears and you go into the invitation. The entire message ought to be an invitation. How could anybody who is thinking right, well, that's the problem, they're not. They need the Holy Spirit to make them think straight. Eyes open, heart plowed up. And if you're not in that category, cry out to God to do that. Because you don't get a second chance. If you are unrepentant and you die, your body will cease to live. Now, folks, it's coming for all of us. I'll usually add this caveat, barring a return of the Lord Jesus, it's coming. Death is coming for all of us. No matter what you say or try to do or the supplements you try to take or anything else, it, it's coming. And when that time comes for you, your body will cease to live and your spirit will go immediately if you're unrepentant, your spirit will go immediately to a place in Hades where there is suffering so intense. We see that from Luke chapter 16 
And there you will await the final judgment. When your body is joined with your spirit and you personally, along with death and Hades, will be cast into the lake of fire and there will be no second chance. Who do you think is behind the lie? Jim, you talked about lies a minute ago. And young people and children, who do you think is behind the lie that there's a second chance? Satan. And who do you think is behind the lie that you're guaranteed tomorrow? That's why the writers in the Bible say today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I appeal to you. Jesus is offering salvation for you if you repent and turn to him. Why would you put it off? Why would you reject? Well, let's finish the message. What this must mean that Jesus descended to the dead. Okay, let me try to wrap it together, and then I'll, I will give another appeal. Unapologetically. When people in the Old Testament died, they went to Sheol, the place of the dead. Is that clear? Okay. And in Sheol, according to Luke 16, we've already seen that. Those who believed in the promises of God were in a place of peace and rest, comfort. While those who had rejected the promises went to a place of torment. When Jesus died, his body was laid in the tomb. He too, like all before him, this is important, all before him and all to come after him, he went to the place of the dead. And one of the things this means, we said that the creed was, was given to us to combat error. There were a lot of heresies, isms, just like there are a lot of isms today. And one of the biggest that threatened Christianity back then was the thought that Jesus really didn't die. There are religions like that even today. So, so one thing it means, and this is so simple, always take the simplest explanation first. One of the things that this means is that Jesus, when he died, he truly, utterly, was completely dead. Have any of you ever seen an old movie called The Prince's Bride? you haven't rented it, it's just it's so silly but it's it's got it's got so many great lines and and the hero dies and they take him to what was his name magic miracle you've seen the movie okay miracle max played by billy crystal it was classic, and he talks with this New York accent, and he, and he says, well, he's not really dead. He's not all dead because he's slightly alive. He says there's a difference between mostly dead 
and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. That's probably pretty good theology because here's what, here's what God wanted to say in his word. When Jesus died, he wasn't slightly alive. He wasn't mostly dead. He was totally, utterly, completely dead. And when he died, he fully entered into the realm of the dead, just like we will. He was not spared the pains of death in any way. In his death, he entered into the human experience of dying as much as any person ever has. Now, I don't know, and we're going to save it for another sermon, what all that he did there, but all I know is this. He ripped the hinges off of Sheol and liberated all of the now get this, repentant Old Testament believers. And I don't know how else to say it. I put it down in my notes and I thought, is there any other way I can say it? I don't know. They got an upgrade. You, you know when you go to a hotel or you go someplace and maybe out to eat, you've got a room at, at, or, or at a table, and they, oh, I'm so sorry, we gave your room away. We, you get an upgrade. Are you glad when you get an upgrade? Yeah. And the Old Testament saints got an upgrade. Same basic place, but no longer just by Abraham's side. That's all they had until Jesus went to the place of the dead. And that's why from then on we read beautiful pictures of what believers have to look forward to when they die. Here's the reason I know, not speculation, but how the Old Testament believers got an upgrade. All these, though commended through their faith, these were the, the, this is the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. But then we read the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Perfect, they got an upgrade. Here are a couple of verses we know. Here's what we have to look forward to now that Jesus has gone to the place of the dead and has been raised from the dead. Abraham's going to be there and we might be beside him. But there's one thing that's different that Lazarus didn't have. The repentant thief on the cross had. What is that? They went into the presence of Jesus. To be absent from the body for us is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, I, I'd rather be away from my body and be home with the Lord. In fact, he said, my desire is so strong, that is way, way far better. And then he calls it something else, and it could be called heaven. You can call it paradise. He also called it the third heaven. He said that he went there and he didn't know whether it was in the body or out of the body, but he went, he made a visit, he got revelations, he came back. The place of the dead for us is incredible. 
But, but here's the reason. What makes heaven heaven? Yeah, you, you know, and it's, it's not wrong. Please don't hear me say this. It's not wrong to want to go and be with a loved one. It's not wrong for that. But the place that makes heaven heaven is the presence of Jesus. Jesus didn't stay in the place of the dead. <laughs> Remember the first sermon Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The cross and the resurrection, and by the way, they are never separated out. They, they go together. They have to. They must. As we read a few minutes ago, the resurrection completes what Jesus did on the cross. If you don't have the resurrection, you're still in your sins because it's so important, but it never is separated from the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that the cross, and the, listen to me, the cross and the resurrection are the difference between Christianity and and all other religions in the world. No other religious leader predicted his own death and resurrection and then kept his promise. I want to give that invitation again if you're here today. Without Christ... Don't put it off as if you've got this afternoon or tomorrow. Today, right now, is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Repent, believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and you will be saved. Father, I thank you for the incredible truths from Scripture. Thank you for wise believers who years ago took these incredible truths, encapsulated them into various creeds. We know that the creeds were written by men, but we know that they point to the infallible, eternal word of truth. And so, Father, help us to respond today. Oh, God, please help those who don't know you to respond today in repentance and faith. Help those of us who do to be encouraged by what Jesus did hmm. and be eternally grateful. We thank you now as we respond. In Jesus' name.